that it will be a blessing to you. So, um, you know, we're entering into a new season, fall. Uh, there's kind of a, a crispness in the air, although today feels a little bit warmer. Um, yesterday was great, by the way, with um, tens of thousands at the prayer march down in Washington, D.C. The, the weather was great, but you can tell that we're moving into a season of fall. And uh, uh, one of the production team meeting, uh, members sent me this meme and I just thought I'd share it with you. Maybe you saw this online. Someone asked me if I had plans for the fall. It took me a moment to realize they meant autumn, not the collapse of civilization. Okay, that joke went a lot better first service. Uh, but, but during this season of fall, it's kind of appropriate because we are in the middle of, or, or actually the second week of a series on the end times that we are calling Tipping Point, based on the book by Pastor Jimmy Evans called Tipping Point, and the signs of the times, and unrighteousness, and uh, the rejection of truth, or the rejection of God in our land and in our world is reaching a tipping point, so much so that we very well could be ushering in the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus. Amen. Now, in the meantime, there is a remnant of believers who love God, who are called according to his purpose, who are, who are working and are interceding for our nation and our world. Like I said yesterday, we were with tens of thousands of people, maybe even close to 100,000, I don't know, of people from all across this nation interceding on the behalf of our nation. Two weeks ago, we looked at Daniel chapter 9 and the 490 years that God had prescribed to the people of Israel, or 70 sets of seven years that was prophesied when the Gabriel gave a vision to the prophet Daniel. And the first 483 years of that prophecy have already been fulfilled, by the way, with incredible accuracy. That means that we just have seven years remaining. When the rapture of the church happens, that will commence the tribulation and that final seven years will resume again. But in the meantime, the timeline, the stopwatch is kind of on pause. But God never breaks his covenants and his promises, including with the people of Israel. And during the church age, he has invited us to be a part of the, the covenant, the new covenant, thanks to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We've been invited into covenant and into fellowship with God. And that, so we're in that pause, in the pause, we're in the church age. And before we get into the heart of today's teaching, I actually want to show you a chart that I came across online that might help you understand what that final seven years or that 70th set of seven. Remember, we've already done 483 years. We're on pause. Then when the rapture takes place, it's going to commence year 484 through 490. Okay. If you want this, if you can't read it, uh, email me. I'll send you this chart. So right now, we're in the present age. Okay, all of this is what's taken place you know, all through mankind until now. We are in the church age. Again, we just talked to you about what that is, where God has invited us to be a part of the covenant with his people. And so it, this church age means we're gonna do all we can while we can to reach as many people as we can to let everybody know that there is a God who wants to have a relationship with them and wants to bring them to heaven along with his chosen people. So church age, that's where we're at right now. When the rapture takes place, and by the way, it could happen any moment. I really believe that. And next week, we're going to look into greater detail about the rapture. Uh, so when the rapture takes place, 
We're going up to meet Jesus in the air. Thessalonians talks about that. That will also uh, uh, coincide with that event. That'll be a private event, by the way. A private event because God knows, Jesus knows who his followers are. He's coming for a bride. That's you and I. So we are already in a relationship with him. We're going to have a private event because he's not going to come all the way down. We're going to meet him in the air. And when we do that, we're going to go to heaven for about seven years. Someone is excited about it. Yes. Amen. That's good. That's also going to commence the seven years of tribulation. That's the final seven years that I was talking to you about. I had a conversation with someone earlier who said that they've got some friends that believe the rapture is going to take place like maybe here or here. We strongly believe that the tribulation is going to happen after the church is gone. We've got lots of scripture. In fact, I talked about that two weeks ago. As in the days of Noah and Lot, so it will be when the coming of the Lord. The Lord is not going to let his children go through the tribulation. So tribulation, seven years. That's the final seven years. First three and a half years, the beginning of sorrows. There will actually be some peace and relative prosperity, actually, during this first three and a half years. The temple is going to be rebuilt. There will actually be sacrifices on that temple again. The Jewish people are going to uh, uh, reconvene and, and do the whole uh, system again. And the Antichrist is going to have a treaty with the people of Israel. But at the three and a half year mark, he's going to go back on his word. He's going to break the treaty with the people of Israel. We call it the uh, abomination of desolation, the desecration of the temple, where he kicks out the Jews and he actually places himself on the throne, proclaiming himself to be God. Terrible, terrible things are going to happen. That's at the three and a half year mark, and that's going to usher in the great tribulation. Wrath and destruction like you've never seen before. There will be beheadings of Christians. Yes, by the way, you can have opportunity to be saved during here, but it will come probably at your life. Uh, Revelation talks about how there will be beheadings to the saints. Now, after that seven, so this is seven years right here. At the end of seven years is the second coming of Jesus. The first advent was a long time ago, right? Uh, when he came as a baby, when he came uh, to Mary and Joseph and was born into this world, lived a sinless life. This is the, actually the second coming, not here. Because remember, this is a private event. He's, gonna, he's not gonna come all the way down. We're gonna meet him in the air. That's what, your, that's what your scripture says. I'm not making this up. But the return of Christ, the second, is gonna come at the end of the seven years. There's gonna be a big, big battle called the Battle of Armageddon. That's going to happen. So he's going to come. He's going to return, plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. We're going to look at that in just a minute. And that, um, at the end of that war, is going to bring in this incredible reign of Christ where he's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And by the way, if you go up with him in the rapture, you're going to come down with him and experience that too. And then at the end of a thousand years, there's going to be a final judgment. Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years, but released for just a short season. And then once and for all, he's going to be destroyed and sent into uh, eternal judgment. And then that's going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. So this is kind of a timeline of what we believe that seven years is going to look like, that, that tribulation. But in the meantime, we are in the church age right now, witnessing prophecy fulfilled right before our very eyes, signs that are building toward the rapture of the church. 
And I watched a couple of weeks ago, as maybe many of you did, there was an event held at the White House, and uh, our president hosted leaders from Israel, from United Arab Emirates, and from Bahrain. Maybe you saw, and there were peace treaties signed between these countries. It was quite incredible. And by the way, the president also kind of intimated, inferred that there could be more of that coming with other nations in that region uh, of, the, of, the, of the world. So that could be on the horizon. But these countries, Bahrain, United Emirates, Israel, they signed peace treaties. They're gonna have, uh, they're gonna have uh, embassies in one another's countries. There's gonna be trade and commerce between these nations. And scripture talks about these sorts of alliances. If you were here with us two weeks ago, we mentioned that about 30% of your scripture, 30% of the Bible is prophecy. And last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about Daniel. Well, about 2,500 years ago, there's another prophet kind of around the same period of Daniel. His name was Ezekiel. And like Daniel, he was with the people of Israel that were ripped from their homeland. They were taken over. You know, God had given them away because he, they had been so uh, rebellious and evil that the Babylon came and captured Israel and took them into exile, took them captive to Babylon. And Ezekiel, 2,500 years ago, was prophesying about the restoration of Israel. He said, and in chapter 38, you can turn there. We're going to look at it in just a moment. He said that Gog and Magog, by the way, Magog represents a coalition of nations that most Bible scholars would say is Russia, Persia, which is modern-day Iran, Turkey, Libya, Sudan. There's, there, these nations are going, to, are going to come together. They're going to have a coalition, and they are going to attack Israel. Now, most nations that I mentioned are Muslim nations. And most uh, Muslims in that region of the country despise Christians and they hate Israel and they hate Jews. You may not know it, but much of southern Russia is actually Muslim. And then there's Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, Pakistan, Iran. That entire region of the world is Muslim and they all hate Israel. Now, 2,500 years ago, Ezekiel prophesied about the coalition and alliances. So if you've got your copy of God's word, you have your phone out anyways because of the alert that's going on. Maybe open up, the, maybe open up your Bible version, your U version while you're there. We're gonna be in chapter 38, the book of Ezekiel. Remember, this was like 2,500 years ago. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, thoughts will come into your mind. Your, by the way, he is speaking to Gog and Magog here. So he's talking about the evil coalition that many believe is Russia and Iran, which, by the way, they're already in cahoots, if you didn't know that. They're in, they're in this thing together. Uh, will come into your mind, talking about Gog and Magog, and you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against them, the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all her villages will say to you, have you come to plunder? Now, I highlighted these. Sheba, most believe, is modern-day Saudi Arabia. Dedan. 
Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, perhaps Yemen. Uh, so we're talking that Arabian Peninsula. These are friends of Israel right now. And we are seeing peace treaties signed right now that they are aligning with Israel and merchants of Tarshish. Now, this goes all the way back to the kingdom of Solomon, who had some, uh, some agreements, some trade agreements. Most believe that this is Great Britain. An extension of that would be the United States. These are friends of Israel. They will say, have you come to plunder? Talking to Magog, these bad people coming from the north. What are you doing here, man? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and to seize much plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In that day, when my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? You will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. In days to come, Gog, I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. This is what will happen in that day. When Gog attacks the land of Israel, my hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. So he's talking about a great attack that's going to come from the north, from Russia, Persia, Iran, and this great event is likely either the abomination of desolation at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, or perhaps the great war, the, the battle of Armageddon at the very end of the seven year tribulation. So Ezekiel prophesied about these last days, Magog, modern day Russia, all those stands and Iran and, and Arabia, Turkey, Sudan, not Arabia, uh, Libya, Sudan, Turkey, their coalition, they're going to strategize an attack against Israel. Meanwhile, Israel is living in, in, in prosperity. They're living in peace. They have these new, these new uh, peace treaties with Sheba and Dedan, which again, is kind of the Arabian Peninsula. They're going to be living at peace, and then we're going to join with them, Lord willing. We want to be on Israel's side, by the way, if you haven't figured that out. We want to be on Israel's side. Meanwhile, we're going to say, what are you doing? Why are you coming down here interrupting these people who are just trying to live their life in peace and prosperity? What are you doing? And Ezekiel says that that attack against Israel will arouse the hot anger of the Lord. We don't want to be on the hot anger side. So the treaties that were just signed could indicate to us that that Arabian Peninsula is coming into alignment with the people of Israel. And by the way, this seemed nearly impossible not too long ago, that peace could, could happen between Arabs and Jews. But scripture says that for the end to come, there's going to have to be peace somewhat between Arabs and Jews. Now, for Ezekiel's prophecy to be fulfilled, there will have to be peace. And these treaties that we are seeing signed could, I'm not declaring it, could be moving us toward that. Amen. And so in Israel, 
there will be a season of safety. They will feel safe. They will feel secure. They will feel at peace. And then all of a sudden, Russia, Iran, these, these bad people from the north. Well, And when I say that, the people of, Israel, of Russia, and they are good people. Okay, God loves them. It's not his will that, that, that they should perish, but they should come to repentance. And there are many Christians in those nations, but, but their leaders are wicked and they're preparing an attack on the people of Israel. But Israel will feel relative safety and then all of a sudden they're gonna be attacked from the north. But the treaties that we have seen signed recently could be steps leading toward the alliance with Israel that will make them feel relatively safe. I hope that makes sense. I know that was a lot to process. If it doesn't make sense, just know this, that some of the events that you are seeing happen right now could very well be stage-setting type of events that are aligning us and getting us ready for the end of the age. Are you following me? So now, with the rest of our time that we had together, I wanna give you four road signs from Scripture that indicate that we are on the highway, we are on the timeline, headed for end times. Now, I like, I like traveling, I like road signs, I like signs. In fact, I've got signs in my garage. I've got signs that are old oil signs, old gas signs, Chevy and Buick, and this is dad's garage kind of signs. And if dad can't fix it, it's really broke, that kind of stuff. I've got stop signs and speed limit signs and all kinds of signs. And, and you, you, we've all been to airports and malls, and we even have signs here in our building. Signs indicate where you're at, and they indicate where you need to go. Well, there are signs in scripture that indicate to us where we are at in relation to the end times and in relation to Bible prophecy. And today, I want to take a look at four of these signs. Are you ready for them? If so, so, just say ready. ready. Thank you. Oh, that is awesome. Yes. So take notes. Uh, there's going to be here on the screen. The first road sign I want to give to us today is Israel is reborn. Israel is reborn as a nation. Actually, for the second time. Let's take a look at the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah actually, by the way, uh, lived before Ezekiel and Daniel. Isaiah prophesied this in chapter 11. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from the lower Egypt, from upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. He's going to gather them from all over the second time. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned uh, the rebellion and unrighteousness of Israel in Daniel's time period. And remember, they were taken from Israel. They were literally uprooted from their homeland and taken to Babylon for 70 years. Now, after 70 years of living in captivity, God allowed the nation of Israel to go back from Babylon to Israel. So they migrated back to their homeland after 70 years, after the decree from the king said that you could go. And that's when they were gathered for the very first time. They were regathered. They were reborn as a nation for the first time from one place, from Babylon. And they remained there for about 500 years. Fast forward to about 70 A.D., 
Israel, this was uh, a few years after Jesus had his earthly ministry. Uh, it's about 70 AD, they were once again ripped out of their homeland. If you were here two weeks ago, we talked about the Roman general Titus who came into the city of Jerusalem and plundered the city, destroyed the temple. By the way, Jesus prophesied that, that not one stone would be left on top of the other. They destroyed the temple. They executed, uh, some say over one million Jews were executed, and the rest of them were scattered to the four quarters of the earth. So they had been dispersed and scattered a second time. Well, Isaiah said for a second time, they're going to be reborn as a nation. This time, it's not going to be from one place, not going to be from Babylon. It's literally going to be from around the world. Well, if you know, for the last 1,900 years, the Jewish people have been living everywhere. But yet they've been regathered as a nation. Uh, before we talk more about that, let's look at chapter 66 of the book of Isaiah. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day? Or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. So remember, Israel was scattered at 70 AD. They were scattered, just like Jesus had prophesied when Jerusalem was attacked. Fast forward about 1,900 years, Israel is now part of Palestine. I think it was after World War I, uh, Great Britain made, uh, made Israel kind of a colony-controlled state. Well, on May 14, 1948, Great Britain released their colonial mandate, and on that one day, David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish agency, announced Israel's freedom. That one day, which is what Isaiah was just talking about. On that same day, here in the United States in 1948, our president at the time was President Harry Truman. President Truman announced that Israel is indeed a free and independent nation. And just like Isaiah prophesied, long time ago, it happened in one day. Can a nation be born in one day? Yes. And it was. May 14, 1948. And this time, they were regathered from the four quarters of the earth. It's quite incredible. So there cannot be an end times without a sovereign and free nation of Israel. Are you following me? So we can check that box. Because Israel has been reborn as a nation on one day in 1948. Okay, second sign. Israel was reborn for the second time. Number two, Jerusalem is reunited. Meaning all of Jerusalem is finally given back into the hands of the Jewish people. Let's look at what Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 21. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, he's talking about what's going to happen in 70 AD, by the way when he prophesied that what non, not one stone will be left on top of the other of the temple, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. And let those in the country not enter the city. Get out, get, flee. 
For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Remember, they're going to be scattered everywhere. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So again, Jesus was right here foretelling, was prophesying what General Titus came about in 70 AD when he ransacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And from 70 AD until 1948 was the times of the Gentiles, meaning that Jerusalem was not in Jewish control for 1900-ish years. It was the time of the Gentiles because it was the Gentiles. Gentiles is non-Jews. Non-Jews had possession. It was, the, it was the times of the Gentiles in Jerusalem. Now, I was not here in 1967, but in 1967, there was a six-day war. Tensions were mounting in the Arab region of our world against Israel. And Israel launched a surprise attack that knocked out 500 planes, Egyptian planes and Syrian planes and Jordanian planes, and knocked out the Air Force, over 500 planes. And in that moment, in 1967, Israel was able to take back full possession of the city of Jerusalem. Now, from 1948 till 1967, they didn't have all of Jerusalem. They just had a portion of Jerusalem. But in 1967, God miraculously gave back the city of Jerusalem to the Jewish people. And by the way, this angers much of the world. The city of Jerusalem will be at the center of the Battle of Armageddon. Now, check this out. In 2017, President Trump declared that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. On May 14, 2018, the 69th anniversary of Israel being reborn as a nation, President Trump said, we are now going to move our U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That may not sound like a big deal to some of you, but, but it is. So for the first time in over 2,500 years, a major world leader declared that Jerusalem is indeed the capital of Israel. You can clap about that, by the way. That's pretty awesome. Since King Cyrus, I was the first major leader. That's pretty cool. I know we have our opinions on left and right and Republican and Democrat and liberal and conservative and all of that, but God can use anybody. He used a Democrat President, Trump, uh, President Truman Oh, that, I just realized that starts with TR. Anyways, President Truman, a Democrat, said Israel is a sovereign and free country in 1948. In 2017 and 18, President Trump declared that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Two of the biggest friends of Israel have been a, a Republican president and a Democrat president. That tells me that God can use anybody he chooses to bring out his plan. Amen, somebody? <laughs> that gives us hope today. So sign number one, Israel was reborn a second time as a nation. Sign number two, Jerusalem is reunited. That happened in 1967. Sign number three, 
Israel reviled. I had to keep the R-E theme going, right? Israel is despised. They are reviled. The hatred of Israel will increase. And to the dismay of much of the world, I believe from now until Jesus comes, Jerusalem will be in Jewish control. I really believe that. The issue of Jerusalem has always caused much drama and has caused much of the world to unite against Israel. They hate Israel. They hate Jerusalem. Let's take a look at what Zechariah said in chapter 12. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness. It makes them so mad, so crazy. They're like drunk people. I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. We are seeing this prophecy fulfilled right now. Israel is despised and reviled and hated by much of the world. And it does not make God happy. God says, those are my people. That's my land. That's my nation. And if, and if, and if you're not careful, it's going to be to your own peril because I will cut you in pieces. I believe this is talking about the Battle of Armageddon, by the way. Like it or not, Jerusalem is and always will be the eternal and indivisible capital of Israel and the holy city of God. Not because I said it, but because God said it. And that ticks a lot of the world off. They hate this fact. In fact, the United Nations absolutely despises the nation of Israel. From 2006 to 2016, the UN Human Rights Council criticized Israel 678 times. Three times more than any other nation. And we're talking about nations like North Korea, Iran, Cuba, some really bad leaders, some really evil dictators, some corrupt people, but yet they criticize Israel three times more than any other nation. Of 97 resolutions adopted by the UN General Assembly between 2012 and 2015, 83 of the 97 were negative toward Israel. Much of the world hates Israel. The United Nations despises Israel. Let's move ahead in Zechariah, a couple of chapters later in, in chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. World hatred, it's, it's here, it's coming. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus himself, this is, this is the second coming. This is after the rapture. Remember, the rapture was a private event between Jesus and his bride. That's us. That's the church. This is going to be a very public event event where he steps foot on this earth once again for the first time in over 2,000 years to the Mount of Olives. 
So when he comes back a second time, the second coming of Christ is going to be on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. So remember, war is raging. They're coming to take out Israel from east to west. The ground is going to be cut in two, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. So God's literally going to make a way of escape for the people of Israel. That's what's happening there. He's making a physical uh, way of escape for his people to get out of this great war of Armageddon. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, or the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Uh, Just lost my slide. Thus, the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. Now, so this is referring to the battle of all battles, the battle of Armageddon, and eventually Jesus is going to say, enough's enough. He's going to come back. He's going to wipe them out. And by the way, we are going to have a front row view. You know, for the seven years of tribulation, we believe that we are going to be in heaven, enjoying the marriage supper of the lamb, being married to our groom, Jesus. Meanwhile, all hell literally is breaking loose here on the earth. We are going to come down with Jesus and have a front row view, a front row seat of this great battle of Armageddon where Jesus wipes out all the evil. But the world despises and hates Israel, and they covet Jerusalem so bad that it will cause the battle of Armageddon. Let's look at what uh, the fourth sign is. So we've talked about Israel reborn for the second time. Jerusalem is reunited. Israel's hated and reviled. Fourthly, Israel is divided. And specifically, we're talking about the land here, the physical property, the physical land of Israel. We're not talking about the people of Israel. Specifically, the land of Israel will be divided. Here's what Joel chapter 3 says. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did, this is God speaking, to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Joel is prophesying here that God is going to come and pronounce judgment to those who have tried to take his people and tried to take his land from his people. You might know this, but for years now, nations, including the United States, by the way, have tried to force Israel to give up part of their land in attempts to broker peace deals with with Palestinians, including the West Bank and including the Gaza Strip. In fact, in 2005, under the approval of then-President George W. Bush, Israel was asked and kind of forced to vacate the Gaza Strip to try and appease the Palestinians. If you didn't know, the Gaza Strip is on the banks of the Mediterranean Sea. It's very rich. It's very fertile. There's ports where ships can come in for trade. But then uh, vacating that land has literally cost the people of Israel billions of dollars in revenue. God says, you have forced my people out of my nation, and I don't like it. 
This is, what, this is what God says. Now, God loves everybody. I just want to say that again. He loves even the Palestinians. He loves them all. But he has made covenants to the people of Israel that he will keep. He is bound to keep. He is a man of his word. He is a God who does not lie. And nobody has any business driving his people out of his land. He's appointed it to Israel. So who are we to step in and force Israel out of God-ordained land? Now, I know that we've, we've kind of pounded through a lot of scripture here, but there, these are four signs that need to happen before the end that we are seeing take place right here in our generation. And I know this has kind of been more of an informational type of message, but Paul said, we don't want you to be unaware about what's coming. We want you to be aware of the times that we are in. It's important that we all grasp the reality that this thing called earth could be winding up very soon. Now, before we, before we end today, I want to look at what Jesus had to say once again. The book of Matthew. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Jesus is saying, you can tell by nature. You can tell even through fig trees what's about to occur. Hey, summer is coming. The twigs are tender. The leaves are coming out. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So this is actually parallel with what we just read from the book of Joel. Jesus said that the generation, not the generation that he was talking to in that moment, the generation that sees all these signs. By the way, I believe that's this generation that we're living in right now. The generations that sees the beginning of these signs will see the end of these signs. We're going to see all of these signs. So you might be asking, okay, what's a generation? Is that 30 years, 40 years, 80 years, 1,000 years? Well, as always, we look to Scripture to uh, interpret Scripture. So how long is a, gener a generation? Here's one passage that we can look at from the book of Psalms. Psalm 90, verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Did you know that the average life expectancy today is around 80 years. And in most places around the world, it's reached anywhere between 70 and 80 years. Well, if you're doing math in your head with me, Israel was reborn in 1948. That was 72 years ago. And remember, Jesus said that the generation that sees all of these things means that we're very close to the end times. So if a lifetime is between 70 and 80 years, I'm saying if, okay? We could very well be in the window of time for the return of the Lord. Now, I am not prophesying that the Lord is coming back in 2020 or 21 or 24 or 28 or even in 50 years. I'm not pro prophesying or predicting that. In fact, that would be very foolish for me to do. Because Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, only the Father. So I am not prophesying or predicting that that's going to happen in the next few years. What I am saying is that Jesus is coming. 
He's coming back. And whether, whether we are alive for his coming or not, we want to be found ready. And that's okay. If he comes back after I'm gone, that's okay. I just want to make sure that I'm living ready to meet my Savior. We are seeing prophecy fulfilled right before our very eyes in a lifetime. I don't believe these are quirky coincidences. I believe these are things from Scripture that we see aligning that are setting up the end of the end. And on this highway or timeline of prophecy, we are passing road sign after road sign that indicate that we are almost to the very end. So what does that, what does that mean for us? What do these road signs mean for us? We said this a couple of weeks ago, and we'll probably keep saying it throughout this series. We need to plan as if Jesus is coming back in a long time. Young people, marry buy homes, uh, pursue your career, save your 401ks, you, you would be wise. The scripture talks about the wisdom that there is in planning. Plan like he's coming back in a long time. But we need to live as if Jesus could come back today. Because he very well could be. And that's not meant to scare you. If he comes back today, that's not, it's not a scary thought. That's, a, that's an exciting thought. He could come back today. Paul said when writing to the Thessalonians, I'm writing about these end times not to scare you, but to encourage you, to comfort you. Therefore, comfort one another with these words is what he said. So keep your chin up. We know that there's troubles, there are trials that are happening, but lift your head. Your redemption draws nigh. So we want to be prepared. And we also want our friends and our families and our neighbors to be prepared. So what are you doing right now to live a life that is pointing people back to Jesus? Who's in your sphere of influence that you need to reach out to, that you need to pray for, that you need to ask him, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus? We don't want them to miss out on heaven. And by the way, we don't want them to miss out on the abundant life that they can have here on earth when following Jesus. So it's not just an escape, get out of hell free card. It's God has an abundant life for us right here on earth. So in the meantime, we are going to keep watching, we are going to keep waiting, and we are going to keep working until he comes. Because we want to be found doing the work of the Lord until the day of his appearing. Amen, everybody? Amen. Amen. Hey, yeah, praise God. All over the room, can we stand together? Let's stand up as we close our time together. In fact, I just want to invite you right now in your seat. If you feel comfortable, why don't you just lift your hands, lift your hearts to the Lord. Why don't we just tell Jesus how much we love him right now? Why don't you use your mouth, use your words right now to renew your commitment to the Lord. Say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm looking forward to your return. Would you renew our commitment to you? Would you revive us, your people? Help us, Lord, not to barely make it into heaven, but help us to be passionate about our relationship with you. Help us to be passionate about telling others about your soon return. We want to tell as many people as we can while we can about the return of the Lord. Lord, you are not coming back for a group of strangers. You are coming back for your fiance. You are coming back for your bride. And so, Lord, we want to have a passionate and right relationship with you right now. So, Lord, renew our passion. Renew our love for you. We love you, Jesus, our faithful God, our constant companion. We love you, Lord, and help us to be ready for the return of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Now, come on, let's sing it out.